Hey friends, welcome to Still With You. My name is Coley Browning and I am so excited that you've joined me for another episode of the podcast. One of my many favorite things about Still With You is that this is a space for gold, inspiring stories, sharing the amazing work that God has done in the lives of others. Today, I am beyond honored and so thankful to be sharing a testimony from one of my dear friends. He is a close friend to both my husband, Chris, and I. He has had such an encouraging influence on our lives, and I am grateful for this opportunity to share some of his story with you. Jonathan Page spent endless hours away from his beautiful wife and three amazing children. He was at the height of his career working as an undercover cop in Memphis, Tennessee. Though he loved his family dearly, he measured his worth in his ability of being a police officer. This is where he found his true identity. Leading up to this time, Jonathan life was filled with affliction. At an early age, he had survived abuse, abandonment, and constantly battled against anger and depression. There were moments in his life where he believed God had truly left him. After working three years for the Memphis Sheriff's Department, Jonathan's life had spiraled out of control. He fell into an 18-month depression and turned to substance abuse to numb the pain he was feeling. When Jonathan thought he had lost it all, he found the most important thing, Jesus. Today, Jonathan is a different man. He is transformed. The moments in his life where he believed God left him, he now sees as the building blocks of his story. All glory points to Jesus. He and his family live in Pensacola, Florida, where they attend Liberty Church downtown, lead dynamic, life-changing small groups, and use every day as an opportunity to serve others. He is walking in true freedom, leaving the past behind and surrendered with open arms to the rich love of the Father. This episode does contain some adult conversation topics that might be sensitive to young listeners or even triggering to those of you who have experienced abuse or drug addiction. But also, please do not let this be what turns you away from hearing Jonathan's radical testimony. There is hope for you today. There is hope for you in Jesus. You are not alone. Jesus is ready to come alongside you and change your life just as he did Jonathan's. Please welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Page. Here's one thing that I don't know. Where were you born? Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, so I knew that you grew up in Memphis. I didn't know that that was originally where you and your family are. You're a husband, dad to three amazing kids. And my goodness, let me just say this. I hope through our conversation that I am able to help guide the conversation to share how much your family means to me. Your family has lived in our city for just a short time and how big of a dent you guys have made. My hope is just to honor you guys through our conversation. When I look at my time here in Pensacola and just the experiences I've had with my church family, I could not imagine you guys not being in that mosaic. I just give all the praise and glory to Jesus because it's really humbling to see what he's done in my family in this short period of time and we love you guys we're so thankful for you and Chris and our church family and uh, it's just been awesome I'm so glad to be on this walk with you guys did you always want a family I'm the youngest of five I've got two awesome brothers and two awesome sisters my father didn't get saved until I was 18 it was pretty rough in our house for a patch we always went to church my mom and dad they dressed to church we were there every Wednesday every Sunday because mom and dad had problems and you know hurt and stuff it was kind of like we loved real hard but we 
we fought real hard too. When I was young, I was sexually abused and introduced to pornography. I was also physically abused, but really the the sexual abuse and the introduction to pornography was one of the biggest things in my childhood that really affected me. Like I said, my father wasn't saved until I was 18, and by that time I was grown. He was rough and abrasive, and he didn't really know how to communicate and had a bad temper. And At the same time, we all loved each other so much. And like we would get, honestly, everybody in my family just about his fist fault. Okay. Oh my gosh. So, but even though we would get into yeah. it, man, we loved each other. And, and like my, I got a brother that's four years older than me and he's, he's really kind of like my father because my yeah. dad was never really there. He was a fireman and he built houses on his days off. Mm-hmm. So my father wasn't really around that much. And when he was, he was usually ticked off about something. My brother kind of became like my father and we became real, real close. He's only four years older than me. Because of, of how I grew up, I had like an anger management problem, you know, and, and yeah. stuff that I was trying to deal with and didn't know how to deal with. When I was 12 years old, man, the Lord just convicted me. And I remember praying a prayer just as honest as I could be, asking him to come into my heart because I wanted to change. That moment, man, it's like I totally felt the Lord so convicting me. And when I, I was so sincere when I was asking him to come into my heart. But after that, no one ever came alongside of me and said, hey, this is how you walk. Yeah, it, like it, discipleship. Yes, nobody ever came and did that. At the same time, when I was 12, I was having all these problems getting in trouble in school. So my mom and dad made the decision to put me in a behavioral health institute, like a mental institution. Really? Yeah. I hate talking about myself, but man, I want to honor the Lord. So Oh, I, yeah. So, and so, I invited you here. So my invitation is your permission. I just want to honor the Lord and really to honor him about, about what he's doing in my life. People need to know where I've been and, and what he's, you know, what kind of chains have been broken. That mental institution, it was a horrible experience. It was a worldly place run by worldly people doing worldly things. It was just a horrible experience. And how old were you? I was 12. My mom and dad, they both had the best intentions. They wanted me to not go down a path so bad, and they just didn't know what to do. I come out of there, and my dad put me in like a, a Catholic school, zero tolerance, and he had told me, he said, if you mess up this time, you're going to military school. Of course, I got in trouble. My dad, he told me, he said, I'm taking you to military school, son, and I was in seventh grade you know what else was he going to do I mean he just felt like he saw me going down a road and he knew he had to do something but he didn't know what to do they loaded me up took me to Camp Hill Alabama to a military school dropped me off and it was a life changing experience I can't even imagine going through the, the mental institutions and then going to military school Man, I really kind of resented God. Yeah. I mean, I would lay in my bed and cry. It's like, man, you know, I thought I thought I was one of yours, you know. Why why am I crying myself sleep? Everything you can imagine about a military school, that it happens. They're rough. I was fourteen when I went there. And I stayed there 7th and 8th grade. And honestly, when I was 14, I'd, I'd been like through some real stuff. I remember begging my father, just begging him to let me come home. He said he couldn't do it. Why couldn't he do it? He said he just really felt like it was what he needed, you know, what I needed. I was doing horrible stuff, you know, getting in fights, getting kicked out of school. I feel like you're just a kid still, you know? When I hear that every bone of like justice in my body just like erupts. I can't imagine especially you because you're my friend but like anybody going through that. It was horrible but it really prepared me for what I was going to deal with later on in life being a police officer and stuff and that was 7th and 8th grade when I was in ninth grade I begged my dad and he let me come home. I got out of uh, military school, transferred my sophomore year. So you went back to Memphis? Yes, went back to Memphis and actually we lived in Millington which is like 15 minutes outside of Memphis Yeah. so I transferred to the big public school there. That's where I met Selinda. And Selinda is amazing. Oh my gosh. 
why she is. I'm never surprised when she does something. It's like her drive and her just passion for doing it over the top and like the job she's doing with the children yeah. and stuff and the nursery, just leading that. I'm just so proud of her and so thankful for her. Watching you two together is such a good thing for younger couples like Chris and I because I feel like you all set the par so high of what godly commitment looks like. Y'all don't quit. When things get hard and when things don't feel happy, it's like you do love harder. We thought we knew what love was until we both gave it all to Christ. Whenever you say that, it's so humbling to me. But there's several people that have gave me that feedback, and it's so humbling because just to look at where I came from and what we've been through, it's just the power of uh, Jesus Christ. Did you guys immediately become friends when you went to high school? Yes, but see, my wife is such a gangster. She <laughs> yes. is. I know what you mean. You know what I'm saying. Yes. Chris knows. She is, yeah. she is tough. I was just enamored by her. It was more than her being beautiful. It was the way that she cared on people. I don't know. For some reason, there was just something about her. And I had actually just like moved to the school and I had these big plans and I was going to start dating everybody. And I was, <laughs> me and my brother were racing cars and me and her met. Once we went out on one day, we were together every day for years, you know, and, until we got married. It was like, man, how could I be with anybody else? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's, that's just like the way I felt. We just totally clicked and even at the time, I was just dealing with everything, and I, I wasn't even nice to her. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there was times when when I was a real butthole to her, and man, yeah. she just kept loving me and it and didn't Aww. care. Did she so, know the Lord during that time? No, she didn't. You know, it's her testimony. I let her tell. She told me that when she was younger, you know, she remembers, you know, like praying, but she's her real walk started about 24 months ago. When we're not following the Lord, isn't it interesting how we always gravitate towards the design that He initially? created for us to walk, which you could not find a more loving, caring, amazing person like your wife. And you, with all of your characteristics of being like loyal, protective, brave, like the one to go first when everyone else needs a leader. I see that in all of your story, even before that you knew the Lord. This is the first time I've ever sat down and really just like, mm. like told our story. And it's our every, like my, one of my kids will say, what about your testimony? I'm like, no, it's our testimony. You know, we've done yeah. this together. Okay. Why did you all stay in Memphis? I had been in Memphis my whole life. Okay. We always joked about it because it's like anytime we needed property or, or let's say if we were looking for a car, I always knew somebody like, hey man, do you know such and such has got the yes. deal or you know such sets that sells car. You know what I mean? You're deeply rooted there. My dad knew everybody. It was just like our hometown. And I love Memphis. I mean, Memphis has got its problems, but the people of Memphis are great people. Just awesome people there. So you guys got married. Mm-hmm. What was happening in that season of your life? There was actually a, a season where before we got married, I had cheated on Selinda. There was a time where I rededicated my life and we started attending church. And we, Really? Okay. Yes, and we were actually going, before we got married, we actually went and was having sessions with our pastor, kind of walking through, and I was honest, you know, talking about stuff I'd done and where I'd been. Yeah, we actually both had a desire. We still didn't know how or how to start to walk. I mean, when you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you open the Bible and you just start reading, you're just reading words. Oh, yeah, it's hard. Once you have a relationship with him, you're reading and you know he's mm-hmm. speaking to you. It's different. We just didn't have that relationship. And, and Slenda, it's her testimony to tell, but she she kind of came from a house to where they just didn't really talk about a whole lot. You know, they never fought. You know, nobody ever cussed. They're great people, but that's just kind of how they did it. In my house, it was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Everybody talked about everything, probably things they shouldn't talk about. 
about. Everybody cussed each other out. Okay, y'all take that somewhere else. You know what I mean? I mean? That's just how it was. Yeah. Whenever we got married, man, I had like a strong desire, and she did too. We wanted to be like super parents. You know what I'm saying? You all are though. But <laughs> at that time, we didn't know we didn't know what it meant. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we were both. I think we both went into our marriage thinking the desire to fill the hole that we had. We really thought that each other and getting married would fill it. Jesus is the only thing that can fill it. We get married and we're living together. I wasn't real nice back then because, you know, going back to like my upbringing and stuff, it was so rough and harsh. So anything, and I, I grew up saying, man, I'll never be like my father. Mm-hmm. Never. My identity was wrong and I just was, I, I didn't treat her well. You know, I was not nice to her. And we had been buried exactly a year and she just up and left me. She moved into an apartment with one of her friends and... Was that divorce grounds? Neither one of us would ever do it. We actually went to an attorney's office to do it. We both just bawled and we couldn't do it. I totally fell into a depression. At the time I was going to college and she had moved out. It was like exactly one year... I had been partying all weekend, and I needed to go to sleep, so a guy gave me something. Mm-hmm. Well, she told me it was Valium. Unbeknownst to me, that's not what it was. I had an allergic reaction to it and almost died. Like, oh, wow. I had to get rushed to the hospital. So she heard about that, and the next day, she showed up in my house, bawling, crying, and we were together ever since. Did anything like that happen where one of you all wanted to separate or take time away since then? Never, not one time. Wow. Except for whenever, you know, I went through my 18 months of darkness. I mean, I just totally left my whole family during that time. You know, we got back together, man. It's like we were so in love and be whatever the other one needed to be. We just didn't know how to do it. You know, I didn't know how to lead mm-hmm. in, in Christ, but could lead my family because I, I'd never seen it. And I had so many things going against me, anger and, and hurt and stuff that I held on to. We got back together and we, we just were totally inseparable. It was like a great time. And then uh, Slenda got pregnant and had a miscarriage. That rocked us both pretty hard. We really didn't know how how to really communicate with you. Does that make sense? You yeah, yeah. And even with something you were saying before about how we wanted to do what was right and we wanted to do, or maybe right's not the right word. We wanted to seek change yes. and grow. Yes. We didn't know where to begin. And isn't that such an accurate statement for so many different parts of our life where we're like, I see that things could be different, but what's the first muscle to move? I think we kind of felt then like, hey, if we have a kid, that'll fill the gap. You know what I mean? Yeah. She had a miscarriage. And then after that, she got pregnant and had Jackson. That was just about 18 years ago. When we got back together, I had gotten approached by somebody about being an undercover cop. I'd never given any thought really to being a police officer because I- You had never before in your life? Well, I mean, I thought it'd be fun, but I mean, I spent my whole life running from them. So I oh. didn't really... <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. So I didn't really, you know, I became... Sorry, a, I shouldn't I, laugh. I don't know no, if that's appropriate. No, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I got hired at the Shelby County Sheriff's Office in Memphis, Tennessee mm-hmm. in 2001. I did the undercover cop thing for three years. My job became my identity. I was never home. When I was home, I was thinking about work. I had built a property with my dad. It was a rental property, and I was working up there. Me and Jackson did stuff together because he just always, every time I was off work, he rode with me no matter what I was oh, doing. Oh, yeah. All your friends were amazed by him always just being so willing to do whatever was on the agenda for you. Yeah, like you were doing a job no matter what it was. Jackson would roll. No matter, He was young. Yeah. And there was a, um, an election going on, and we were going around putting up signs. Mm-hmm. 
me and a, a partner of mine, and we did it for like 12 hours that day. We stopped and ate and everything. Jackson just rolled just like one of the guys, man. He never complained. Everybody would just trip out because he's like, man, this dude is, you know, <laughs> he's down. Granted, he's like 18 years old, but like, man, that man loves the Bible. Mm-hmm. He really, about a year ago is when he really, you know, had like an encounter and really started having a relationship with Jesus. And since then, I mean, he really can fix me to get in the Word more. When when I'm around him, he starts talking. I'm like, son, you're going to have to dumb it down for old dad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, man, he is so in the Word, and, man, just his walk and his desire to be in alignment with, with what the Lord has yes. for him is just unbelievable. It's such a blessing, and, and I'm just so thankful, man. I'm 30 months into my walk right now. So did that start when you just continually worked yourself to I continually worked myself, and I never, never took care of my body. Lifting weights is like my big thing. Taking steroids, I weighed like 225 pounds. You know, that was like how I carried myself, you know. It was hurt my back. I had a back injury. I struggled with pain pills like on and off for years mm-hmm. because of that back injury, and you know, now I weigh like 185 and I take care of myself and my back's not hurting. Come you know on. what I'm yeah, saying? And, absolutely. and the Lord just totally, you know, he healed me, but it took me changing my lifestyle and changing things that I was doing and taking care of myself to enable me to get that blessing, you know, healing up that part of my body. Teen months start. And also did during that time, did you have Olivia? After we had Jackson, Slenda got pregnant again and had an eptopic pregnancy. And that's where the baby starts growing in the fallopian tube instead of where it's supposed to grow. Mm -hmm. And if it bursts, it's death. You'll bleed out instantly. So she had that and almost died in between Jackson and Olivia. They took one of her tubes out, so we really thought she wasn't going to be able to have kids. And, like, it was so important for Selena to have kids. I mean, she, like, wanted to be super mom. She is. We made it through that, and we started trying again. We had Olivia. And shortly, two years later, we had Sadie. And the whole time, my... When this is going on, Slenda is just like super mom, staying home, soccer, taking them, you know, this mm-hmm. and that. At the same time, man, I'm working all the time. So we own a business, we got a house, Slenda's driving a fancy car, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> just like we are checking all the boxes. We go to church every once in a while. From the outside looking in, it looked like we had it all together. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, man, I had just a big identity crisis. Really? Yeah, my identity being and being a police officer and not a child of God. Did you ever pull up into your driveway and look at your family, your house, and everything and think, man, I should be happy with this? When I would pull up my driveway, I was so consumed with myself that I couldn't see how good I had it. I couldn't see that I had an awesome family. All I could see was, man, if I do this at work, you know, I'll I'll get the praise for it. You know, it was my pride. My ego just totally ran me. I got a lot of gratification out of doing a good job. And and I enjoyed being a police officer. You were doing all good things. Saving people every single day. Working in the community. Being a good role model. Like providing for your family. But then like you knew the places that God needed to touch. Because I felt so much conviction for like the way I was living and the things I was doing. I had gotten promoted in 2012. Before that, after the um, the undercover program, I worked in uniform patrol, just driving a squad car for like three years. Oh, and you were on the History Channel, everyone, by the way, too. <laughs> <laughs> we could literally and, add that episode for them to go find to oh see that. <laughs> see, how, see how horrible and mean I look? Stop. No. I think that is the coolest experience. Were you on any other television shows? Remind me. It's Real Vice Cops that came on Spike Channel and then Gangland Memphis that came on the History Channel. 
I look back and think, man, how much wasted influence I had. What was the steps that molded you into like the man that I'm sitting across from right now? My career was like taking off, total trajectory up. And there was an incident one time. We got a prisoner and he was in my squad car. I'm the supervisor on the scene. And the guy steals my squad car. I'd had a spare The prisoner did? Yes. Oh, damn. He's handcuffed in the back of my squad car. And I was the field commander, so my car didn't have a cage in it. And he was handcuffed in the back behind his back, and I had my spare keys on my bag in the passenger seat. So he looks up there and sees the keys, gets the cuffs, and I'm sitting there in the parking lot, and I hear this guy take off in my squad car. My heart just fell. Oh, I'm telling you, I can't explain to you how I felt. Long story short, he drives it like less than a mile, stops and gets out and just leaves the car and runs. Just got in a new position, had been promoted, and honestly, if I would have just said, hey, this guy just stole my car. They probably would have slapped me on the hand and said, oh, don't do that again or whatever. So I pull up and I'm sitting there and I'm literally thinking to myself, man, I am so screwed. This guy that worked for me, he said, what are you talking about, Sarge? I said, man, I'm screwed. No, man, you're straight. He said, nothing happened here. He said, man, you know, we got the car back, everything, this and that. We never got on the radio. And I started thinking, I was like, you're right. We are straight. You know, so yeah. So long story short, I didn't Pretend it didn't yes, happen. Yes, I yeah. pretended it didn't happen. And... Went like two years after that, this team that, that I was on then, man, we were getting all these arrests and we were just catching. Our job was to catch, it was called the Fugitive Apprehension Team, and our job was to catch just like murderers, you know. And so two years later, one of my employees had some problems, and this employee said, well, Sergeant Page's car got stolen two years ago. So they started an investigation, and oh. let me back up more real quick. Yeah. Right before all that happened with the car getting stolen, I had just gotten promoted to field commander, and there was a kid that took off running from from a house. His mom called and said, hey, I found some weapons. I'm concerned. And this kid was 15 years old. This kid's running and I'm chasing after him and I'm probably 30 yards from him and I notice he's running with his hands in front of him, still running full speed. And I knew he had a gun then. Just, so I yanked my gun out and I'm still running full speed and I'm yelling for him to turn around, turn around, stop. And he turns around and he's got a revolver in his hand and he's got a round in his hand and the cylinder's open. And he's looking down at the gun and then looking back at me and looking back at the gun. You know, somebody's got a gun out, you're good to do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. Something, I mean, it was like the Lord, I could see this kid's eyes. Yeah. And this is like in milliseconds, but I could see his eyes. And it was like he never wanted to hurt me. Yeah, he didn't want to be in that spot. Yeah, he didn't. And for some reason, I could not squeeze the round off. Couldn't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And all this has just happened like like in milliseconds. So when I get to him, I'm about five foot from him. He gets around in, throws a cylinder, and just looks at me just like this. And he's just staring into my eyes. When you say this, can you... Like, he had he, he got the gun locked, and he took the revolver and put it up to his temple and is staring at me. And I'm, I mean, all this is just happening like in milliseconds. And I'm running full speed at him. I just opened up my arms and just tackled him. And he went to the ground and he fell down with his hands like laying next to his head. Yeah. And we're like face to face. And he puts the gun back to his head. And I'm left-handed. Yeah. He's right-handed. So when he did that, I did the worst thing, the thing they tell every police officer in America to never do. I dropped my gun and I grabbed his. And when I went to grab it, just by the grace of God, my finger, index finger went in the trigger guard. So I'm at face to face with him and I can feel him squeezing trying to get a round off, but my finger's keeping it from going off. Oh, my gosh. Then we start fighting over the gun. Okay. And now the gun's in my face, and I can feel him squeezing. 
I guess my finger. I can smell the gun oil on the gun. So I finally get the gun away from him. And I mean, I screamed like like a baby cries for his mom. I get the gun away from him. A bunch of my guys get there and everything. But I'm telling you, that at that point, I felt so small and so just vulnerable. It was like a lot of times you think you got it all going on. And man, like within a, a split second, you see your life flash before your eyes. And at that point, man, the enemy used that to try to convince me that I didn't have what it took to be a cop. So now the enemy's working that on me on top of all the other stuff I had. Yeah. And, you know, my identity's wrapped up into this job. I was still on and off. Like, I would take pain pills for a month or two months. And then all these things are, you know, they're they're not. Was that just to, like, numb out? At first, it was because my pain and the doctor prescribed them. But then I realized... When I took them, I could work a little bit longer. When my when I really started hurting, I could take one and work a little longer. But then it got to where it was numbing. It was I was taking them because I couldn't stand the thought or the feeling of the enemy telling me, "Hey, you can't do this job. You're not man enough. You don't have what it takes." You know, and that was like a big turning point. At that point in time, is when I started taking a lot of chances. And really, like, mm-hmm. skirting a lot of rules because I was trying to build my ego up and puff myself up and make myself think that I was something. Whenever they relieved me of duty, and I, when they came to me, I totally admitted everything I did. Yeah. There were so many people that didn't like me because I was arrogant and cocky and walk around with my chest stuck out. So when that happened, there was a lot of people that said, well, this, that, this, and that. But I really told the truth the first time they came to me and yeah. said, hey, this is what I did. People would come to me and say, look, if you'll just calm down, all this is going to blow away. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, you don't understand. They took something from me. I can never get back. Yeah. And I didn't even know how to put it into words, but but I felt they had took my identity. Yeah, they yeah, took yeah. my car, my gun, my badge. Yeah. They took my credential. I mean, all my equipment. It's like everything that I was counting on to be my identity, they had taken from me. You know, at that point in time, I started doing crystal meth. That was the beginning of the 18 months of total, complete darkness. Did you hide it from your family? For a while. When my wife saw me get so enraged that I put my hands on her, she really knew that I was doing that. The thing is, she hid it from my children. I got some stories that I could tell that uh, I'm sure not proud of. About the work, pretty much I went to my hearing about you know, a year after all this happened and everything, and they were giving me my job back, my rank back, maybe my position back. But when they were trying to give all that back to me, I was uh, addicted to meth and pain pills. They sent me, they said, hey, man, all you do is take a drug test and get your job back. So theoretically, I could have just got myself clean and took the drug test and just kept trying to patch it together. But I just felt like my identity was gone. And then my identity was being a dopehead. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't look like my, I didn't look at myself like a cop anymore. I looked at myself like a dopehead. So I went in there and just totally went positive on a drug test for no other reason. And when you're on that stuff, you just don't think right. And I really thought that everybody would be like, oh man, let's get this dude some help, you know? And, and there were some people that were like that, but but really I was in such a downward spiral with yeah. that. I mean, it's such darkness. And the pornography, if you struggle with pornography, you've been introduced to it and you get on drugs like that, it becomes a, a total, complete obsession. Really? Yes, ma'am. Wow. I mean, we've all had moments in our life where we're really sad. And so, like, imagine that amplified by 18 months and then you're, like, and not even shame. the same person in yes. guilt and guilt shame. Guilt and shame packed on top of that, you know, and... Like, you didn't know who you were. 
they tried to give my job back. I was in horrible shape. And I, for 18 months, I'm a diabetic, you know. So for 18 months, I mm-hmm. pretty much stayed high the whole time. Um, wow. Left my family for, you know, weeks at a time. Living in hotels, just being a, a total, complete, whatever you assume a dope had to be, I was just that guy. It's a big part of my testimony. I'm probably going to start crying. But Celinda, whenever she was begging me to stay home and she would just look at me and she, nah, I, was, I would be on dope and she would look at me. She said, I don't even know who you are. And I would look at her dead in her face and said, I don't either. And she would say, what can I do just to get you to come home every night? I said, if you'll cook for me every night, I'll come home. She started that night and she cooked for me every single night for about two months. I would come home sometimes messed up, sometimes not, most of the time messed mm. up. And she would just cook whatever, anything I requested. I mean, everything. And, and I just felt like I was unlovable. Because I knew what I had done, and I, and she knew what I was. And, man, she just loved on me anyway. So, man, it's like the Lord started really seeing that love, that unconditional love of somebody that, that I thought was unlovable. The Lord just used that. At the time, I didn't really know what was going on. I mean, I didn't know the Lord was working all this, you know, working everything out. I just saw where I was at. School year was getting ready to start, and there was this guy that I was running with, and he said I owed him some money, but, I mean, you know how... You don't know, but guys, guys that are in, guys that are Sorry, in. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I don't know why I'm saying like you don't know. I do not know. You know, you run the street with guys doing street stuff, and then everybody, oh, you owe me money here and there. So I had stopped doing everything, yeah. and I was staying home. And I'd been home for like a week and a half. My diabetes, I didn't check it or take care of it for about that whole 18 months. Man, that's a miracle in itself. I actually prayed for this guy, but he came to my house and, and was beating on my doors. And I went out and we got into a fight in the front yard. Slinda and the kids and everybody saw it. And I just remember coming back in and looking at the scared look on my kids' faces and thinking, hey, we're out of here. I just Meaning out of Memphis? Yes, out of Memphis. And we had joked because we fell in love in Florida and we'd been down, we come down here every year. We'd always joked that we were going to retire and move down there. Yeah. And we, we really, in the back of our minds, knew that we never would because we'd been in Memphis our whole life. We knew everybody. So when this happened, I just remember looking at her and said, we're out of here. And we had a big, huge house full of stuff. And we just packed up everything we could in two cars and drove down here. Two days before school started, got the kids in school. And we were renting a little house. My sugar, I don't, I, I'm scared to even think about what it ran sure, yeah. during that time. When I stopped taking everything, I realized that I had some really, really bad nerve pain all throughout my body that I was having to deal with. We moved down here, and literally, I am like just in excruciating pain. I had teeth missing. I weighed 147 pounds when we moved down here. I was 200 plus before that 18 months started. So you can only imagine what I look like. We moved down here. Tori. Our friends know her. She's been on twice on the show. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, Tori's like my... Tori Asmore. I call her my goddaughter because I'm not really sure what to call her. She was actually just a neighbor that just became a part of our family, and she's been a part ever since. We are big Tori fans here. I love Tori, and I'm so proud of her. Just thankful for her. She's been a blessing to us. Yeah, so she moved down here with us because she had just graduated nursing school, Mm -hmm. and Lord worked it out because we knew one person that lived down here, and that's Linda's uncle and his family. Well, his wife in the Nick unit, and Slenda started talking to her, so Slenda hooked her and Tori up for interviews. So that's how Tori got down here. Yeah. We were down here, and, man, I was just in horrible shape. You know, I've been in ICU twice since I've been down here for ketoacidosis. Horrible pain, and Tori went to uh, Liberty downtown, and I remember her calling Slenda's like, hey, I checked out this church. Y'all should come check it out. 
And this was probably three years ago. They had been opened up very short very amount of time. Very short. And for a couple of weeks, I didn't go because I didn't leave the house for like two or three months at a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just that bad. Yeah. So we visited Liberty Downtown and Coley No Joke the first time. All, you know, back then, Josh was preaching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Todd was a community pastor or whatever. They and know Todd and Becca, too. I've got all my friends on here. Todd and Becca are such a humongous part of my testimony and Oh, stuff. mine, too. It's unbelievable. We go in, and I was in horrible shape. I told you how I looked. We walk in, and man, Pastor Todd is talking to somebody. And we were sneaking up the elevator to go upstairs to the balcony. He sees me walk in, and he stops talking and makes a beeline towards me and just starts loving on me. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm Pastor Todd. You know, and he's doing his thing, loving on me. You know, yeah. I love that brother. We go sit down, and I'm like, man, who is this? I'll be honest with you, I didn't like him. Yeah. I did not like Todd because of why? Because he was so enthusiastic. That and the, it was where I was. You know I'm what I'm saying? Sure. I was in all that guilt and shame. All I want to do is sneak upstairs. I mean, here this brother comes trying to love on Oh, you know? I've been there with there's people when you're like, okay, you don't know where I am, but yes. like, I want to be where you're at. We did that two or three times, came and snuck up. I'm telling you, I cried during every service for like four weeks. That is so my story too. When I first came to downtown, I cried during every service for yes. probably the, the first two months yeah. for sure. I felt so convicted for everything, but I also felt this feeling of like, man, I'm home. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. People were just, they loved on me no matter what I looked like. So one week, Pastor Todd preached a sermon. Man, when he did, it just drilled me. At the same time, my brother had sent me a workbook called uh, Getting Your Life on Target. Going through that after I had you know, been visiting Liberty, man, I was going through that workbook. I just said, man, I'm at zero. I have nothing. So I literally have to give up nothing to try Jesus's way. I said, Lord, I give you everything I have. My guilt and shame and my hurt, like the hurt that I held in. Yeah. I didn't want to give that up because I felt comfort in that. You know, that was like my safe space having that hurt and being there because I'd had it so for so long. I totally gave that to Jesus and asked him because I had prayed the prayer of coming to my heart, you know. But man, I asked him not, not just to come into my heart, but to change my desire system, to change me to where, you know, I would have his heart. And I instantly at that time, almost 30 months ago, I gave him pornography that day. Really? And I have not seen it in 30 months. That's amazing. And I, I prayed that the Lord would take the mask off of that sin and really show me what it was, what it looked like. Those chains of the pornography and getting forgiveness and being able to learn how to forgive, how to give forgiveness, it's just been a huge part. During that time, I was kind of just laying out all my problems. And I was like, man, I have my teeth are jacked up. I can't work. I'm hurting. I'm this. I'm that. I weigh 150 pounds. You know, I'm just like, I don't know anybody here. And I'm just laying all these down to the Lord. And man, it just hit me. I know one person here. And that's the little dude that come up with me <laughs> on me in that pretty church. Yeah. I couldn't get enough. I was just wanting to read more and more and more and dive deeper and deeper. For some reason, you know, when the Lord put on my heart about Pastor Todd, I was like, man, that dude did love on me. So I reached out to him after that sermon. I was like, hey, man, that sermon really touched me. You know, I'd like to get with you and to talk to you, whatever, just and that. Unbeknownst to me, Todd had just went out of town. So I sent him like this email, like pouring my heart out. <laughs> this is funny. So, you know, when you first start your walk, man, the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart. Oh, yeah. And, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then you do it and nothing happens. And you're like, hey, Lord, I thought you, you know, I thought you oh, had yeah. my back on this deal. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It went and he didn't respond. So like several days later, I finally got ticked off and I was like, hey, man, are you getting my message? He 
sent me a couple messages, called me, hey, man, I'm sorry I've been out of town. You know, you want to get together? And I was like, yeah, man. So, like, really, really nervous. Man, the Lord, just, just go to see. And, man, I went and met him, and it was unbelievable. I just sat down, and I said, man, I don't know anything to say, so I'm just going to lay it out. I just told him where I was, man, and we were both sitting there bawling, and, and that was like the beginning of my and Todd's relationship. After that, Todd being Todd, he'll always take you out of your comfort zone, dude. Like, wherever you're comfortable at, he's got the gift to stretch you out beyond that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I needed. Right before I left, he said, man, I want to pray for you. He said, man, do you got any, any needs? And I said, yeah, I need to find a dentist, you know. Pastor Todd hooked me up with Dr. Clay, Michael Clay, the dentist. Yes. He's a brother. He totally, man, I, I cannot say enough about him and Melanie, his wife. Just great people. He he did like $60,000 worth of work for just a small fraction of wow. what it should have been. Just totally took care of me, man. Just been a brother. It was over a year worth of dental work, you know, I had to get done. Like, told Pastor Todd, I said, man, I'm not really that good at anything, but I, I like to do little projects and stuff. So me and Pastor Todd, actually, I was on the way to Pastor Todd's house one the first time. And my sister, Jenny, man, she's an awesome believer. And she's just, she's been praying for me for a long time. Am I, have I met her? Her yeah. husband came to church. Yeah, I'm making met. sure that I've met all your sisters. Well, I got one one sister and one brother you haven't met. Okay. But the next time they come, we're going to make sure we get them in Let's there. Because they're awesome people. I love them. The Lord was like, like working on some things in my life, you know. And I was so pumped, so I called my sister on the way to Pastor Todd's the first time. Because I told him, I said, hey, man, I do a little project. So he's like, all right, come over, we'll do some tops or something. I'm on the way over there, and I called my sister, and I said, yes, my buddy, uh, Pastor Todd. You know, And she told me, she said, go make him disciple you. And I said, what? I said, look, I don't even know this dude yet. You know, we've only met one time, you know. She said, I don't care. Make him disciple you. I said, well, okay, what if he doesn't want to? She goes, <laughs> Show up at his house every day. Yeah. So I didn't even know what that entailed. I called Todd later, or not, maybe I texted him. I said, hey, man, uh, I don't know what this means exactly, but, man, I want you to disciple me. Then we did a couple more projects, and he asked me, he's like, man, I got this big project. And I was like, oh, we can do it. So, man, we had this project we did for like six months, and it's like I kind of lived at their house four days a week for a lot of this time and got to just spend time with him and his wife and his kids and I learned so much mm-hmm. from being around them. We've been hanging out and Todd said, man, I want you to come to my freedom group. Me and Babe was in a freedom, our first group we'd ever went to. This is a small group that started with Church of the Highlands and it's just yes. a great curriculum. Like I'll put some information for our friends to find yeah. because if there's a place that I'd love my people to go, it would be at a freedom group this fall. There's nothing like getting to watch chains fall to see and to feel somebody get freedom and the holy spirit start working inside pastor todd asked us to be in a group and we my wife said she would she would never go to sunday school like she would go to church but she never go to sunday school we were talking about going to this group she's like i'm going but i'm not talking i said okay you don't have to talk man we go and i just learned so much and i, I was already like i'd already kind of been through a freedom curriculum from that workbook that i yeah. did so during this it was like a time really you know, to kind of, the Lord was just like fine-tuning some things with me, you know, things, and just showing me things I needed to change and stuff. And just after that, Pastor Todd, you know, he's always got to stretch you out of your comfort zone. He goes, I want you to co-lead a group with me. I was thinking, for what? You know, I was like, what am I going to lead? You know, because it was all new to me, you know. I show up at this group with Pastor Todd. I'm the oldest person in there besides Todd by at least 20 years. I show up and I'm like, man, what in the world am I going to contribute? to these kids. I don't even know how to talk to these kids. They're talking about Xbox and 
Fortnite, you know, all this stuff I don't know anything about. My husband included was in that group. I couldn't understand why I was in that group, but through that group, man, I got a relationship, a brother relationship with Chris, Christian, both the Shinnicks, Josh Bell, uh, Ryan T, Darrell. Man, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. But th- those are like the main guys yeah. that, that was in there. And man, it was just an awesome time for growth. I couldn't figure out why I was in there or what was really going on. Man, after that, Jackson has been getting poured. My son has been getting poured into from Chris. Oh, yeah. Christian, he looks up, man, both the Shinnick uh, brothers, man. He just, yeah. he, he thinks the world of them. Justin was in that group. Yeah. And Justin had been doing youth, pouring into both my girls. So it's like that whole group, just about like all the main guys after that group. Now they're like pouring into my children. I had never thought of that. That's so true. Wow. Yes. It blows me away that the Lord had that plan, you know, to put that little crew together in that small group. When that small group right there, when we went to the Freedom Conference, every time somebody in our groups are dealing with something, our whole entire group would get up and go over and lay hands and pray for them, pray yeah. with them and stuff. So it was just an awesome, awesome time. And after that, it was like, hey, y'all going to lead a group now? So that's when me and Slenda led the first group we ever led at the Sisson's house. You and Chris, remember y'all came to it. That was the first group that I we ever that led. Group. We co-led, and Thomas and Dorian was in that group with, uh, we, we originally did with Todd. Yeah. So we co-led that group, and still we have no idea what we're doing. We still don't. But we led that group, and we had some awesome people. You and Chris were in it. Christian came, and man, it was just awesome, because that group kind of showed me and Bay kind of gave us the model Feed people, love on them, and take care of them and pour into them. It was crazy because the first week we had one person. Yeah. It ended up, we had to shut it, shut it down because we had so many people coming to it. And man, it was just a great group. When you do your everyday life, do you ever have a moment, even though you've had such breakthrough and you have a strong relationship with the Lord, do you ever have times where you feel the shame and the guilt want to pull the life back out of you like do you ever feel like you're you have really bad days in, I, I in working have, through your past i do have bad days but it's never with guilt and shame i mean when i say i got freedom from that that's why i love to talk about it so openly because i don't look at it as a condemnation i look at it like man i was building my testimony and that's like the most powerful thing you know that I can share with someone is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. If that had never happened to me, man, it would shortchange my testimony or, you know, we wouldn't have ended up down here. Me and Jackson have have talked about it a lot. And he said, man, for me to think in my little head that whatever plan that we thought that we could have changed in the past, it would have totally messed up the plan that God had already worked out. If you point yourself one degree away from Christ, just one degree, man, before you look up, you'll be so far from him oh, that there's yeah, that's no, true. There, you couldn't even imagine. So whenever I feel that, man, I instantly start feeling, hey, I'm thankful. He pulled me out of a pit that was so dark that, man, I used that. Start just praising him. Look at what he's doing in my life right now. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I come back. Yeah. Just thinking about not what happened, but what he's doing right now, mm-hmm. you know. You should share some of the stuff that you and your family do for fun. Like, for uh, real, y'all are grill masters. Honestly, whenever I was in such bad shape and the Lord was working me through this, I mean, it was a process, you know what I'm saying? And I was, so I was around the house a lot, you know, I was getting surgery in my mouth mm-hmm. and everything. So we just started spending a lot of family time together. And like during this time, that's why it was so important, like being around Pastor Todd and Miss Becca. I had never seen 
a template of how you should be with your wife, kind of grace and mercy. I remember one time somebody made a comment about Miss Becca's grace and mercy, and she immediately said, hey, I've got to give it because i got to have it. Ooh, that's good. i got to give it because i got to have it. Yes, yeah. she said that, and man, it, it stuck with me. The walk that I'm on, man, and like the, the things and the people, really the people that the Lord is putting in, in my life and in my family's life. And uh, to hear you, you talk about our family, it just blows me away. And, and, and people, other people have said things, man, and I, all I can do every time I hear it is think about, man, what the Lord can do with a bag of bones like me in 30 months. There's no other way. I mean, Jesus is the only one that can change somebody and that transformation and, and restoration and the healing that he's done in my life, in my family. Mm-hmm. And, and during this time, man, I've honestly, I've had to humble myself and learn how to talk to my family. Because, I mean, I, I was rough and abrasive. And even after my transformation, you know, for a long time, I didn't really realize how rough and abrasive my correction or just things that I said were. I humbled myself and went to my son, to Jackson, and I said, son, I need you to tell me what I can't see. He didn't want to tell me because I'm his dad. He was crying. He said, dad, it's your tone. It's the way you're talking, the way you come, come off about it. And, man, when he did, it wrecked me. Honestly, I acted like I was a detective interviewing somebody. You know, like like my kid, I'd say, why'd you do this? Well, I don't know. Well, that ain't that. You know, I, I would like, like I was questioning them. And it was just abrasive. Oh, well, I feel like that'd be hard to turn off and on if you were so hard into work, you know. So. Yes. That's something that the Lord has really been working on me lately. Learning how to, to talk to people without the emotion, without yeah. the, the anger, and just really coming to people out of love. Then during the quarantine, quarantine was a, has been the best thing that's ever happened to my family. Us too. The best, mm-hmm. without a doubt. We spent a couple of months with each other every single day. We went to Sam's and like loaded up on groceries, and we literally didn't leave the house for like two months. We watched sermons every single day. I mean, for like 60 days straight. We were eating <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, we would start, you know, talking about, the word or man, we we just sat around and had family time and we did everything together as a family. And man, we come out of this thing. Everybody in my family is further along in their walk because of that time. I believe it because I have a John MacArthur Bible sitting <laughs> on my desk because of your son. I now know all of Franklin. Is it Franklin Jetson? Is that his name? What's Jetson it? Franklin. Just Jetson Franklin. I know all of his whereabouts because you <laughs> <laughs> and then also, Slinda got hired in the middle of pandemic. a pandemic. Yeah. You tell me God's not at work in that. Oh, man. I'm so thankful and so proud. You know, Pastor Todd, a lot of the things that he helped me with, getting me to do this and do that, really stretching, working you know, my comfort zone out and, and stretching me closer to the Lord. He's now, like, doing that with my wife. I'm just so thankful. And, babe, is that, Slinda is absolutely killing and and I told Pastor Todd, I said, man, anything she does, she's going to kill it because everything she does is over the top, mm-hmm. you know, all everything's covered, you know, and she is just, she wants to do a good job so bad. And she really has a heart for loving on people. You yeah. Know? She wants every mother that comes in there to feel comfortable and safe and dropping their kid off so that they can go get fed. And that's just her, you know, that's her heart. We're going to get ready. We're going to lead another group. You know, we're learning to to trust him and to let him guide us, you know. And uh, we're just pumped, man. I mean, Mm. we're so excited, so excited about what the Lord's doing. Do you have anything else that you want to add before I ask you the final question? You can say whatever you wish. Uh, 
my mom, I, just, I really just wanted to honor her and take a second and really honor her because a huge part of my life, and she's really, you know, I got my personality from my mother. She was a singer, and she loved to, to perform, and she's just kind of the life of the party and wanted to talk about how much healing, you know, since my transformation, how much healing that I've been able to do with my family and actually, you know, connecting with my mother and be able to talk about the Lord and her sharing her walk and, and stuff with me. It's just been a huge blessing. It's been so much healing in my family you know, with me personally in the last 30 months. Yeah, my mom, she is so strong. She was she was actually shot in the leg with a 410 shotgun when she was oh, a young girl. Goodness. So she's struggled with that her whole life. And uh, but she never stops going. She never stops smiling. She is one of the funniest human beings on this earth. What style of music did she sing? It was she was in a band and it was called the Burl Old Swinger Band. And it was like 50s and 60s music. They mostly sang it like country clubs and weddings, stuff like that around Memphis. She actually had a recording contract whenever she was like 17 years old, turned it down to raise five kids. And remind me, I've met her before, correct? Yes. She has yeah. come down here like three times recently and she stayed with us like two weeks. And of course, she's in a wheelchair. So man, she has a hard time getting around. But she told us that she had just the time of her life, best vacation she's ever had. We want to bring her back and just getting to love on her and honor her and uh, you know, just have good conversation with her. her me, her and Jackson and Selena just sitting around talking about the word. Yeah. Uh, it's just been been a really a good time of healing. She's awesome. And it's so easy to wrap this up in like an hour long conversation, but like you had to walk through it. And so I just want to like honor you for your honesty mm-hmm. and you. honor you for even just you being one of the people to go first always and say like, hey, I've been there and I know where you're at. Just for people listening, what is your identity? I can tell you and my wife can tell you from personal experience you can try to fill that hole with anything in this world. We, I mean, I've tried it. I've tried to fill it with everything you can imagine. You're going to be empty and alone until you fill it with Jesus Christ. It's the only way I've tried everything. So, you know, if your identity is in anything other than Jesus, get some of this grace, mercy, and forgiveness and start some healing and restoration. The Lord is ready to take whatever you have left and fulfill what His mission is for your life you can take whatever you got left and I, I really thought to myself man i have nothing left you know i'm this and that and slowly over the last three years man the lord has just been putting me back together inside and out before this my, i forgot my dad passed away two months into my walk really yeah. like you were in florida i was in florida and you know we were just for like two months me and my dad got to really pour into each other and talk about the lord for the first time and he came down and him and my brother came and met pastor todd and then he died like two weeks later before he died you know he'd been praying for me for a long time we, me and him would talk about the prodigal son i'd be calling like during that two months i'd say dad what's up you know and talk we'd talk a little bit and i'd say dad what what does it feel like when your son comes home? Because I loved his reaction. And when I'd say that to him, he'd go, oh, son, I can't even tell you. Oh. I can't even tell you what it feels like. The last time I saw my dad, me and Jackson, he came in town and, and we were talking. And he asked me, he's like, son, what are you going to do? I said, dad, I don't know. But whatever the Lord has for me, it's like so big that I just like, just humbles me down just thinking about it. He looked at me and he, he said, he said, son, I can see it. I can see it clear as day. And I was like, that's the last time I ever got to see my dad. You know, as much as I miss my father, I'm so thankful 
that I got to spend those two months of pouring into my dad and having like real conversation and talking about the Lord and talking about the word and talking about his walk and, and me telling him about mine. And just, man, that time was so unbelievable. Also, I know for 100% fact that I'm going to see my father again. Yeah, that's so sweet that you would share that. We, we miss our family, but honestly, man, we, we just feel like the Lord has given us a new family, a church family of people. That's why our church and our, our little family and the little community that we have is so important. And not that there's not issues like there is all the time, but man, I just feel like it's my family. I don't know any yeah. other way to put it. Yeah, well, we love you guys. Like, again, I cannot imagine our experience, our story, Mm -hmm. our city, everything. Like, I cannot imagine without you guys. And also, like, I know that that we have, like, these deep conversations, but we also have, like, a lot of fun. Tons of laughing. We do board games. But one of the funnest things that we do, and this is going to sound stupid, is we do taste tests. We were sitting around one day. We were talking about what's better, this or that. So finally, it's like, man, let's have a taste test. And we did one. I can't even remember what the first one was, but it was so much fun that we started looking for other things that we could do a taste test with. And honestly, Jackson is the star attraction. (laughs) That's funny. He is the star attraction because Jackson cannot tell a lie. And man, he is like so methodical. Like he'll take a bite of something and he'll sit there. But he's so game, he'll try anything. Sure, yeah. That's the best taste tester you can find. So we have uh, definitely had fun with the taste test, man. We just we just do everything together as a family. Yeah. You know, and can't wait to see what's what's next. Yeah. You guys have made us feel part of your family. That's why I get so emotional, because I'm like, I love you guys. Do you care if I ask you the final question? Hit me. Love okay. You. All right, because the podcast is called Still With You, Jonathan, I would love to know where is God still with you? He's with me every time I turn around, every time I stop and take the world out and look back at him, he's right there. Yeah. Every time. And every time that, that I thought that he was far away from me, all I had to do was turn around and he was right there just putting his arms out saying, come on back. That's the image that I have of Jesus. I used to look at the image of Christ as looking at me going, mm, like, you know, finger kind of pointing finger at pointing you. at me. That's the way that I had... Once I got a relationship with Jesus and started walking with him, I realized I had the wrong perspective of Christ. He's looking at me going, come on back, come on back, I've already forgiven you, come on back. I just have to turn off the world and turn off myself and look back to him and let him realign me with his alignment. I see him working in every person's life that's around me. What I want to do is maybe if we can talk Slenda into it, I want you to come back. Because I don't know, think I've talked to a married couple and I think it'd be so cool to hear from her. We can do the whole family at one time. You know yeah. I love it. Okay. Awesome. You know I love you guys and you're the best. Thank and you so thank much you for, for doing this. this. Love you guys. Revelation 12:11 speaks about how there is power paired with the blood of the lamb in the words of our testimony. When we share our testimony, we actually loan faith to others for them to get inspired and encouraged and to grab onto. And I am so grateful for Jonathan being so generous and sharing his story with us today. If you have a small group, even a group of friends that you feel like would benefit from hearing Jonathan's testimony, please share this episode with them or even better 
better. Please invite him to speak. He does well speaking to all age groups, but specifically men. He has such a heart for seeing young men and fathers lead like Jesus and claim their own freedom story. Jonathan has shared twice with our church family. His heart is so open and obedient to sharing with a group of any size the amazing work that God has done in his life. I am so excited for the future of his family and again, beyond grateful for his friendship. If you are interested in contacting him, you can find the ways to connect with him in the show notes of this episode. Use the link attached to this episode that will connect you directly to my website, coleybrowning.com. That is one way that you can reach me. You can also find me on social media. My handle is Coley Browning. I would love to connect with you and encourage you in any way that I can. The music that you're listening to in the background is from our sweet friend, Lily Gray. Also in the show notes, you can find links to connect with her, but you can also visit lilygray.com. Still with you, could not move without you. I am so grateful for your support. Every episode download, every review, every encouragement as I step bravely and obediently where God is calling me into this unknown. I never know where the podcast is going to lead. God has placed on my heart to encourage others through sharing stories. And that is exactly what I want to do. I believe what I sow, he will grow. And I'm just so grateful for you being a part of this journey with me. Be bold, be brave, be you. And remember that he is still with you. Uh